This morning, I want to talk to you about a message in our Continuing Jesus 2020 series. The title of the message is Jesus, the Light of the World. Jesus, the Light of the World. So I'm going to begin reading with you John chapter 8, verses 12 through 14. John chapter 8, verses 12 through 14 says this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I have come from, and I know where I am going. But you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. So let's pray. And Father, thank you that we are here. Thank you for the joy of being together. I pray that you would, through your word, press in on us, cause us to be encouraged, to be built up, to renew our minds, to stir our hearts, our affections, as we turn our attention toward you. Father, I pray that you grant us the courage by your spirit to step out and do what you have said and to, to obey you, to believe you, to follow you. I pray the work of the Holy Spirit would do its illumination in our hearts and open our eyes of our understanding. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if I was to ask you, if I was to ask you this morning, I'm asking you a question. Everybody look at me on the stage. Everybody look at me. Okay. If I was to ask you a question out there on the porch, sitting in your chairs, under the tents, I'm asking you a question. And here's the question that I'm asking you in your cars too. If you had one word to describe 2020, what would that word be? One word to describe this year, what would that word be? Some of you would say perhaps it's been unsettling. Others would say it's been uncertain. Others still, it's been extreme. It's been stressful. It's been polarizing, hasn't it? It's been depressing for some. Isolation, lonely, disease, all of us would have a word that we would use to say this is what would describe 2020. Well, I would like to add one word to that discussion, and the word would be darkness. Would you agree with me that 2020 has been a year of darkness, where darkness really has covered the land? And when Jesus spoke to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. He's saying this, it is the nature of God to bring his light into the darkest places and darkest moments of our lives. And in your Bibles, the very first sentence, the very first page, the very first statement in the Bible in Genesis 1-1 reads this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. And now watch this word. It says, darkness was over the surface of the deep. And when the world began, darkness dominated. Darkness was over the whole land. Darkness in Hebrew literally means this. A swirly mass of disorienting chaos. A disorienting mass of chaos. It means a black darkness. Doesn't that sound familiar to our world today, really? How many of us feel the swirling mass of disorienting chaos? How many feel the black darkness all over again? Think about this year. Think about this year that within weeks, life as we knew it was over and swept away by a dark mass of disorienting chaos. And over the past months has been a time of darkness that has visited our land. 
I think you would all agree that there is darkness, that there has been economic darkness with businesses closing at unprecedented levels. Yes, many have come back, but this week, Tuesday, Disneyland, they lost 28,000 jobs in one week. For many, chaos, the economic chaos is something that will never be recovered from. For others still, there's emotional darkness. I mean, everything that is bad has gone up. Everything from suicide to anxiety to stress to loneliness to isolation, everything bad has gone up. And so, friends, it's a time of emotional uh, distancing, but also emotional darkness. I think for others, there's relational darkness. Marriages have been under uh, incredible amounts of strain and stress. Family dynamics have been impacted. And I think many would agree that this has been a time also of racial darkness of political darkness, of spiritual darkness. Google search engines, the two two of the main words that have been people have been searching are prayer and God, spiking to all-time high levels as people are in spiritual darkness and trying to find their way through the chaos. And for some of us, friends, it's also a time of personal darkness where darkness has been lurking even in our own souls. Continuing in Genesis, it says this, Now the earth was covered in darkness. In other words, there was hopelessness. It was confusing. It was chaotic. It was dark. But watch this. But the Spirit of God was there all along, hovering over the darkness. It says in verse 3, The Spirit of God was hovering over the water. And the God of the universe says this, Let there be light. And this is how God, watch, This is how God then begins to to interact with his creation. God God brings light into the darkness, and this is who God is. God's spirit there was moving in the darkness. And this isn't just something that happens at the beginning of time. This is what God does over and over again. It is his nature to bring his light into the dark places and dark moments of our lives. So Jesus continues his mission every day to bring his light and his life and his love and his hope and his forgiveness to every single person that is in the darkness. And whatever your darkness, whatever your despair, whatever your chaos is this morning, I just want to remind you that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead to declare that darkness does not have the final word in your life. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, In him, that is, in Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light of Jesus shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, and will not, and cannot overcome it. So friends, I have great news for you today. So I want to encourage you with three reminders of what it means for us when darkness seems to be covering the whole earth and darkness is encroaching on your own life. Three encouragements, and I want you to know this, number one, if you're taking notes. God does some of his best work in the darkness. God does some of his best work in the darkness. So regardless of whatever kind of darkness that you're facing right now, whatever's encroaching upon your life, it is God's nature since the beginning of time to bring light into the darkest places. Somebody needs to hear this today. Somebody needs to hear this. So if you're here and you're experiencing, and if you haven't in the past, 
Uh, if you're not now, you will in the future. You'll experience shades of darkness that begin to encroach upon your life. I want to remind us of this, that nothing is hidden from God ever. We have no secrets, not in your heart, not in your mind, not in your activities. There are no secrets. There are none. The Bible puts it this way. Okay, the Bible puts it this way, that our lives are spent as a tale which has been told. It says this, that all things are naked and open unto him with whom we have to do. Everything in your life is naked and open. So the feeling that we can get away with it, I'm telling you, you are not getting away with anything. You have no secrets before God. He knows our every secret. So here's what's at stake this morning when we think that we can have secrets and get away with them. Secrets provide a space, a dark space, where the hooks of death and destruction are set in your life. Let me give you a few examples of what that might look like. Perhaps a man or perhaps a housewife gets addicted to prescription medicine. And you know people are going to feel guilty. People are going to feel ashamed. People are going to feel like they're being controlled, swearing that it's not going to be this way forever. But yet they keep falling back into it and falling back into it. And then you think to yourself, you think this way, how can I tell somebody? I can't tell my husband. I can't tell my wife because of what, what are they going to think? I can't tell my small group. I can't tell my close friends because what are they going to think? And so what do you do? You conclude that it's too risky and I can't tell anybody. So what do we do? We then retreat into the shadows rather than take the on, off ramp of confession. What we do is we're drawn into the darkness of secrecy. And darkness, again, is the space where you open yourselves up to more darkness, where the hooks of death and destruction begin to get set into you. The Bible puts it this way, that the wages of sin is death or separation from God. So perhaps you're a man or, or a woman and you're flirting with somebody at work. Or perhaps you're pursuing Facebook and you come across an ex-boyfriend or an ex-girlfriend and you remember the crazy fun, fun things that you used to do. And all of a sudden you become a little bit more detached from your spouse. And then what happens is you can begin to overthink, over-romanticize in the past and your heart's affections begin to, begin to uh, get stronger for that person. And instead of confessing, instead of taking that off-ramp there, we can retreat into the darkness because how can we admit that? And if we don't get help, if we don't confess, then we think, I might, or if I confess, I might lose my marriage. If I confess, I might lose my job. And friends, I'm just telling you that this is a well-traveled path. For generations, this is a well-traveled path. And people live in the shadows of secrecy. They live in darkness. It is easy to live a duplicit life. It's easy to, to choose not to confess and to project the best version of myself like I don't have secrets. And here's what's happening that is so heartbreaking is that then it costs you your marriage and it costs you your relationships and it costs you your job anyways. So here's the good news. And what does Jesus do? Jesus comes to us 
And here's what he has to say about himself. I am the light of the world. Not just I am a light, but I am the light. I am the Messiah. I am God incarnate. I am able to bring light into your darkness because I'm God. So it says, I am the light of the world, of everywhere, not just of Judea and Samaria and Jerusalem. I'm the light of the world. So Jesus says this, and he announces it to a crowd, and they're like, yeah, you're a ridiculous liar is who you are. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're talking about. I know where I came from. I came from God, and I know where I'm going to. I'm going to eternity. So Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And darkness does not have to have the last word over your life. But we have to be honest about our darkness. So if our lives are marked by consistently a, a cycle of being sucked into to cycles of sin over and over again, even though we hate it, even though we can't stand it, even though we have a self-determined will thinking we're going to get past it, but you go on in the same thing and the good news is this. The good news is there's still hope for us, even if that's our place. I want to read to you from John chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. Just a stunning, a stunning story. Uh, really, it says in chapter 8, verse 2. Early in the morning, Jesus came again to the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees, those are the religious leaders, brought to him a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And placing her in the midst of this crowd, they said to Jesus, she gets dragged out of the bedroom, dragged out in the presence of Jesus. Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commands us to stone such a woman. But what do you say? So this smells like a setup that it is. And this angry mob of religious people are trying to set Jesus up. And here's what happens. Next verse. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, and they continued to ask him. And he stood up, and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. Don't you wonder what Jesus was writing on the ground as they were, they were shouting to him, This woman must be stoned to death? And here's what happens. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. So as the religious leaders here uh, are uh, scandalously in this soap opera scene, are beginning to walk away. And I wonder why it is that the older ones begin to walk away. Why do you think that was? Why did the older ones begin to split the scene? Could it be that they had built up some serious portfolios of sin? Could it be that their buckets were just overflowing with things they were ashamed of? That they had a baggage of accumulated sin that they were recognizing was real? The older men were feeling like the heat that they had to get out of there, but the young men were still hanging around and eventually left. But I want to draw your attention. Imagine there it is. Jesus then is just with the woman there that's been caught in the very act. And so they dragged her in front of Jesus, and they have a green light, according to the Mosaic law, to stone her to death. So there she is. She has not confessed. She's not said, yeah, I need to call the priest. I need to get right with. No, none of that. She's just in darkness there. And perhaps she's covering up 
Perhaps she's imagining what it's going to be like and hoping that the first stone will take her out so she won't have to endure being stoned to death. And there's the woman and Jesus. And there he is with the sinner, and that's how it will be for every one of us. And Jesus says, let the first one who's without sin cast the first stone. And here's what happens. They have a stone, and they all have stones. And here's what happens, right? Here's what happens. And one by one, thud, thud, thud. They're just dropping their stones, one after the next one, dropping their stones. And Jesus says to her, hey, woman, which was a respectful term, where are your accusers? No one has condemned you, and neither do I. He said, go and sin no more. Oh, what a beautiful story because Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't punish her for being in the darkness. See, in the middle of your darkness, friends, this is what God is like. Jesus doesn't let her past condemn her. Jesus lifts her above condemnation. That's what God is like. There is therefore now no condemnation. So Jesus lifts condemnation. He forgives sin. He says, go and sin no more. He calls her to a new lifestyle when you follow him. And so the woman never confessed her sin. She gets busted in the act, caught in the act. She never says, I got to talk to somebody. That never happened. So Jesus tells the woman to stop sitting and to begin to walk in the light. Friends, that is just, that is stunning. That is who God is. And Jesus wants to do for us what he did for that woman. Go and sin no more. It's stunning mercy. It's just scandalous grace that God gives us in Christ. That God does some of his best work in the dark, rescuing us from our personal darkness. But he does it for a reason. And what is that reason? My second point is this, is that God sends us to shine his light in the darkness. God sends us to send, shine his light in the darkness. See, we live in a work dark world, and Jesus didn't just say, I am the, dark, the, the light of the world, but he pointed right at his followers, like he said, and you, and you, and you, and you, he said this. He said, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. Now, you go and you shine your light. And I get it. Friends, I get it. Many of us, we've been, we've been shut up, social distancing. We haven't had the kind of interactions that we normally have. I get all that. More people are at home. And it's hard to find ways that more now than in the past to shine your light. But Jesus said, don't hide your light under a basket. So let me share some ways I think that we could shine our lights. Because we do, we live in a dark world. And Romans 13, 12 says this, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. But what keeps you from shining? What keeps you from shining? Well, here's some ways that we can shine. I think we could use social media wisely and how we, uh, we, we, comments we make, photos we post, articles we recommend. We can shine our light on social media. You can shine your light with what you say, with your speech. You can shine your light with your actions and your attitude and your, uh, uh, your actions. So we can shine our light even in this dark world. 
And I want to thank you as a church for shining the light uh, as, a, as, a, as a church. I want to thank you for the things you do in the community. You gave uh, tons of uh, professional face shields to the professional healthcare community at Loma Linda uh, University, uh, to the hospital. You've given uh, face shields and medical supplies to this community, to retirement homes here. You have fed the hungry in this community during the pandemic, people that can't shop. You've gone out and you've shopped for them and delivered the food on their porches. Uh, you've made face masks. You've given face masks. Uh, you've gone to uh, Zimbabwe. You've gone to Houston uh, after uh, the mess there. You've done so much for the community and beyond. And you have shined the light as a church. And that is awesome. And I commend you. And I love you for that. And so Jesus said that you are to shine your light in the darkness. God does his best work in the darkness. And my last point is this. Jesus invites you to follow him as your light in the darkness. He invites you to follow him as your light in the darkness. But there is more to life than this life. You would agree? Football season is among us, and I'm excited about that, and I get it that some people don't even care. But there's a football player by the name of Tom Brady that was quoted as saying this, and I want to quote Tom Brady, the football player. Most of you have heard his name. And he was interviewed, and here's what he said in his interview. Why do I have Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal. I reached my dream, my life. But me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't. This can't be all it's cranked up to be. Now, now that's Tom Brady, arguably the greatest quarterback in NFL history. I mean, there's 330 million people on the earth. There's about a dozen of them, of the 330 million, that are actually, you know, franchise good quarterbacks in the NFL. About a dozen. There's one or two of those that are in the discussion as being the greatest quarterback of all time. And Tom Brady is one of those. And Tom is more wealthier than anyone here. Tom has got, you know, good, you know, model looks there, got a model wife. And he's living for men, the dream in particular. I mean, the guy is worshipped like he's a part of the Trinity in certain parts of America. Father, son, and Tom Brady. He's going to have He's going to have a statue in a football stadium someday. I mean, none of us are going to have a, a statue of ourselves one day for being employee of the year at State Farm or teacher of the year. We're never going to have a, a statue of us. And here's Tom, and Tom serves us this way because Tom is realizing the American dream. And Tom has the dream in his lap. Six Super Bowl victories, almost unheard of, and he said this, God, it's got to be more than this. This can't be all it's cracked up to be. And it's so true, as the Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, that God places eternity into the heart of man. And so there's a gap in the heart of man. There's a gap in the heart of Tom Brady. And only what is eternal can fill the gap of eternity. Six Super Bowls cannot fill the gap of eternity. You cannot fill the gap in your soul. 
I cannot fill the void inside my own life. So Jesus invites you to follow him, the light of the world that can fill the gap, fill the void, fill the emptiness inside our hearts. And as we close, I get it. You're processing all of this and thinking through it. We're all wired up differently. But I want to lay before you this as I close. Jesus is the light of the world. And by the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit awakening your heart, if you feel stuck this morning in darkness and tried to work it out and only keep cycling back to it, if you're here and you've got that secret sin deal going on, remember the grace of God. Expressed to the woman, God expresses the same grace to us. Jesus is inviting everyone and anyone to follow him as the light of the world. Again, I close with what I began to read. John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever, whoever follows me, whoever you are, however dark is your life, you're not too dark, you're not too broken, you're not too screwed up, you're not too messed up, you're not too far away from God. Whoever follows me will not live in darkness, but will have the light of light. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you. I pray your words would find their way into our hearts. May they be a light unto our path, a lamp unto our way. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us with an everlasting love. Thank you that you call us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. You're here this morning, and perhaps you've been sort of doing your thing or maybe ignoring God or kind of casual about God. Today you're feeling like, yes, I want to say yes to him. I want to invite you to pray a simple prayer of inviting Jesus to be your Savior, to be your light in the darkness, to give your life to Him, to say yes to forgiveness, yes to eternal life, yes to your best life. If that's you, pray this prayer online or here at the ranch. Jesus, I believe in you, and I trust in you. I ask you to be the forgiver of my sins. Thank you for dying in my place. I now give you my life. And I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.